0: So last week we talked about this desperate need that we have for freedom, that we oftentimes don't realize how entrapped we are by our sin, by the habits, by our own flesh, that uh, God enslaves us and tends to rule us instead of the Holy Spirit ruling us. And so we talked about this desperate need that we have for Christ to free us, and it says in Scripture, if the Son has set you free, then you are free indeed, right? And so that should be something that we celebrate. Um... But what we uh, often do is we turn around and in our freedom, we use it to enslave people around us. And we don't even think about it. So this is just a brief review on last week that this beautiful freedom that we have is not, is not just independent of other people. We are freed in Christ to become part of a community of free people <coughs> that bear one another's burdens Um, that when we don't struggle with something, but someone else does, we use our freedom to refrain from doing that thing so that we don't cause someone else to stumble. And this goes back to that idea of um, uh, Susanna Wesley, John and Charles Wesley's mother, had a definition of sin that read like this. Take this rule. Whatever weakens your reason, impairs the tenderness of your conscience, obscures your sense of God, takes off your relish of the spiritual things. In short, whatever increases the authority of your flesh over the spirit, that thing is sin to you, no matter how innocent it might be. Um, So it might be that in your freedom, you can enjoy chocolate cake, right? To your heart's content, right? Yeah, yes, I'm getting thumbs up, right? And it's not an issue for you. Because you can stop eating chocolate cake, and it's no big deal. You'll miss it, but you can stop. There may be someone close by to you who cannot eat chocolate cake without eating until they are sick, right? Now, it could be a numerous kind of any other things. I just used cake because that was the first thing that came to mind. But if you know you've got someone that is a close friend of yours that struggles with chocolate cake, and you have them over to your house... And you can eat chocolate cake, so you make chocolate cake, and there's chocolate cake there. What are you doing to your friend, right? So we use our freedom and voluntarily restrain it for the sake of other people. This is beautiful in the body of Christ, because over and over and over again in Scripture, it says that we are to bear with one another. That means that we wrap our arm around people, and where they are weak, we voluntarily become weak. Right. We're not necessarily weaker, but we choose not to engage in whatever that happens to be. Now, this is what we're going to read today in the scriptures um, when we get to Paul's talk about how we actually use our freedom and what the the things that we actually do with our freedom for the sake of other people. So if you want to follow along, I've got the scriptures up here. We're going to start in verse 11 in First Corinthians chapter nine. And this is in the uh, English standard version this morning. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? And if others share this rightful claim on you, do we not even more? Uh, Paul is talking about the the preachers and the ministers that serve among the church. If we are serving among you, do we not have the right to uh, expect payment, salary for uh, the things that we have done among you? Nevertheless, we don't make use of this right but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple get their food from the temple, and that those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial alt offerings? In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to you to secure any such provision. I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. Does anyone wake up in the morning and think that? We might ought to think that. This is a good verse to to memorize. Woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will... I am still entrusted with the stewardship. What then is my reward? (coughs) That in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though myself not being under the law, that I might win those under the law to those outside the law, Gentiles, those who have not yet professed faith in any um, particular uh, God, uh, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law, to the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. In fact, I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. And I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. This is a beautiful description of how Paul uses his freedom. He has every right to demand things of the church, and he doesn't. In fact, he goes on to explain, listen, the people who are um, working at the Jewish temple... They eat the meat you sacrifice. That's how they earn their living. Uh, The people who uh, sacrifice um, meat to the false gods, they get to eat of that meat as well. Um, I have the right to claim that, but I'm not going to because I want God to be my provision. I want to boast in Christ, and I'm going to sacrifice all of the rights that I have so that I can meet you where you are and claim nothing but God among you. This is what Paul does with his freedom. Um, The first thing that's interesting here is that he made no use of his rights. Remember, Paul was a Roman citizen, right? He had the rights that came to him as a Roman citizen, and he chose not to use those at times. Now, he was also uh, the greatest Pharisee that probably ever lived in his day. He was up and coming, going to be the greatest, and he made no use of those rights as well. Instead, he humbled himself. This idea That he wanted to use his freedom to benefit the kingdom and not himself. Um, In in verse 15 is where he makes this point. Um, And let me flip there. 1 Corinthians 9 verse 15. I made no use of any of my rights. We live in a world where we like to exercise our rights. We have them, we love them, we exercise them, even sometimes at the expense of other people, right? And so Paul here is saying, listen, if you know anything about me, if you've read my story, and he shares it in various other letters to different churches, if you've read my story, you know I have Roman rights, I have Jewish rights. Now I recognize that I am a servant of Christ. And therefore, the freedom that I have to exercise rights within Christ far exceeds any other rights I would have had as a Roman citizen, far exceeds any other rights I would have had as a Jewish Pharisee. But I am choosing, though I have a ton of rights, not to use them. Because if I use them, it may damage my relationship with people. It may limit my ability to share the gospel freely. And what I want more than anything else, he says, is to share the gospel without any restraint. I cannot think of anything else but sharing the gospel. How did he phrase it? Um, the, uh, uh, the idea is that I can think of nothing else but sharing the gospel. So he's laying all his rights aside, saying I'll do whatever it takes if I can just share the gospel. He did not use his rights to seek the best accommodations in the town he was staying in, He did not use his rights to um, gain profit for his own pocket. He did not use his rights to do anything but find a place to preach the gospel. Paul had an immense amount of rights, and he made no use of them. What would happen if you woke up in the morning, and though you have rights as an American citizen, and though you have rights? as in the freedom of Christ to do as you will, you chose for the sake of the gospel to not use your earthly rights. You have all kinds of freedoms to use and you chose to lay them down for someone else so that you could reach and preach the gospel in a way you wouldn't have otherwise if you lived out your rights. We have the the right, the freedom. We can drive to work, right? What if, what if you said, eh, I'm gonna take the bus today so I can sit with people that I wouldn't ordinarily encounter for the sake of the gospel? Do I have a car? Yeah. Could I use the car? Yeah. Am I entitled to the car? I paid for it. Am I gonna ride the bus to meet people that desperately need to hear Jesus? Am I gonna choose to do that every day for a year so that it's not a one-time encounter but that so i start to build a relationship with the people who ride the bus at the same time on the same route every day out of necessity what if we did stuff like that what would what would our city look like if we didn't make use of our rights but we laid them aside for the sake of the gospel um paul continues in talking about this rights um to go one step further. It's not just that he laid his rights down, but in verse 12, he makes this, this very interesting statement. Nevertheless, I, I've not um, made use of these rights, but instead we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of Christ. Um, he made no use of his rights and he willingly endured anything. As far as I'm aware, in the English language and and the language this was written in, the word anything means anything, right? So what you're saying, Paul, as I understand him to say, I would endure a grab bag of mystery problems willingly so that I can continue to preach the gospel and Christ be glorified. And if you've read Paul's story anywhere in the New Testament, you realize, oh man, he endured the grab bag of like, reach your hand in and draw a problem out and, and experience that problem. And then for the fun of it, stick your hand back in the bag and draw something else out. And continue to preach the gospel while you are shipwrecked right while you are arrested right while you are beaten and all the meanwhile saying yes jesus yes i will do this and do this again for the sake of the gospel of christ willingly endure anything you have freedom in christ to walk away from things that might cause you trouble And we do it, right? Mm, That road looks a little troubling. I don't really feel like talking to that person today. That person wants me to pray for them, but oops, I forgot, right? We have the freedom to do that. But Paul shows us by example, he uses his freedom to actually be inflicted by suffering for the sake of other people. And he would do it again and again and again and again and again until the day Jesus took him home. Because woe to him if he can't preach the gospel. And to him, preaching the gospel meant putting himself in a place of struggle. He was going to constantly be up against um, the adversaries of the day, the people who said, we don't want you preaching Jesus. Just because he could avoid something didn't mean he did avoid something. He continues to say in other places, all things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. And that doesn't mean for him, All things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial to the kingdom of God. So it might not be beneficial for his body, but it was beneficial to the kingdom of God. Therefore, he went ahead and did it. He willingly endured hardship. What would happen if we willingly endured hardship? for the sake of Jesus in our day-to-day life. That we didn't live our day-to-day lives to make sure that we felt comfortable, right? That we didn't live our day-to-day lives um, uh, for our own benefit, right? But we lived our day-to-day lives with the one idea that whatever I do, I will preach the gospel. Whoever I run into, I will speak the name of Jesus. Whatever situation I encounter, I will praise Jesus loudly publicly and often even if it means i lose my job even if it means i lose some friendships even if it means people look at me and walk to the other side of the street because they don't want to talk to that crazy person about jesus but what if we lived that life and someone listened and someone heard and someone submitted to christ And someone gave their heart and life to Christ. And then they got in on this idea that I could do whatever I want, but I want people to know what I have. And so they started sharing and living a life of, come what may, I'm going to talk about Jesus. Come what may, I'm going to build relationships with people that other people wouldn't build relationships with. Then it may mean that I put myself in some weird situations, but for the sake of Jesus, I have to preach the gospel. And people think that when we read this passage that they can excuse themselves from it because they're not called to full-time pastoral ministry, right? Because Paul was called to full-time vocational ministry, and I was called to full-time vocational ministry, kicking and screaming, mind you, right? Not what I had in mind for my life. However, I resonate with Paul when he says, woe to me if I cannot preach the gospel, and not just from this platform, right? Um, But scripture tells us that we are all priests in the kingdom of God, which means every single one of us should carry this burden of woe to me if I cannot preach the gospel today. You should feel a lacking in your soul when you go to bed at night if you have not had a chance to share the gospel with someone. That's that's what having the Spirit of God inside of you should motivate you to do, to be, I cannot do anything but look for the opportunities to share the gospel. Um, I am going to make no use of my rights. I am going to endure anything, and I'm going to speak the gospel, live the gospel wherever I happen to go. And then Paul takes it one step further. It's not as if giving up his rights was enough. It's not as if willingly enduring anything (laughs) was enough. And I mean, How many of you have prayed a prayer and you're like, Lord, just do what you want in this situation. And then God does what he wants and you're like, I didn't mean that. (laughs) Right? This is what Paul is saying. I will endure anything. It's like a challenge. Right? Bring it on and I will endure it with you. But he goes even one step further. And he starts to build intentional relationships with people outside the church. Right? It's it's this... um, this passage that we understand in verse 19, uh, though I am free from all, I made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became like a Jew in order to win Jews. Now remember, Paul was raised as a Jew. He could talk their language, right? So he could he could argue the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, backwards and forwards because he had to have it memorized. That was part of being a Pharisee of Pharisees. He he could speak the Jewish language culturally and um, uh, relationally. He knew it backwards and forwards. So to a Jew, as a Christian, he became like a Jew. He went and hung out in the synagogues, right? He saw them do their sacrifices. He probably even went into worship time with them. He became like a Jew again, though he was not a Jew. So that he could win the Jews. The only way that the Jewish people were going to come to know Christ is if a Christ follower went to the Jewish people because they weren't going to come to Christian church. Christians had to go to Jewish church and love them and serve them and be Jesus among them, endure anything, and he was going to get ridiculed for it. Aren't you the Paul that stood at the feet of Stephen when he was executed? Didn't you hold the coats for everybody who threw stones? Who are you? Why are you here? We don't believe a word. He was willing to endure anything to win his Jewish brothers and sisters. To those under the law, he became as one under the law. He willingly gave up his rights as a free man in Christ. And though he was not under the law, he became as one under the law hung out with those, lived with those, ministered to those who were as under the law so that they might be free from the law because he knew the law does not lead to freedom. The law is just a weight that we bear. Christ gives us freedom and he wanted them to know that. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. Though I am not outside the law of God, he reminds everybody, I am still submitting to Christ but I became as one outside the law so that I might win those outside the law. Meaning, like, there were Jesus people, easy to hang out with. We all talk the same language. Then there were Jewish people, slightly different, but he spoke that language fairly well. Then there were Gentile people who worshipped all kinds of gods, who did all kinds of bizarre things. And if we know, in the city of Corinth, it was one of the most depraved cities there was. And at one point in time, we read even the city of Corinth and all of its sin looked at the church of Corinth and went, ew, you guys have gone one step too far. Right? And so Paul went to those people, right? Outside the law. No real relationship with a real God. They worshiped all kinds of fake gods or no gods. And he became as one outside the law though he was not outside the law, though he submitted to Christ at every step, he went and hung out with people at the local bar. He went and hung out with people at the local temple where they were worshiping via prostitutes. He went out and hung out with all of the people that you're not supposed to hang out with so that by any means he might reach them with the gospel of Christ. Right? To the weak I became weak that I might win the weak. Now, We don't really understand what that really means. What does he mean to the weak? We can extrapolate out a little bit. Um, There are people who are weak in faith. So he went to those who were weak in faith. And he became like one of them. And he encouraged them. And he sat with them. And he heard them. And he listened to them. And he prayed for them. and, And he became like one of them to meet them where they were so that he could lead them somewhere. There's that idea. There's also the idea that In this day and age that we read about, uh, there are people who were outcast from society. They could not um, work because of leprosy. Um, Maybe they were missing limbs. Maybe they were blind. Maybe there were a, a variety of physical ailments that meant people were unclean and not welcome. They were the weak of society. They depended on people to give alms to the poor. They depended on the kindness of strangers. And if they didn't get it, they didn't eat. Can you imagine what a testimony it would be for Paul to go, I'm going to go hang out with the lepers. We're going to have lunch together. Not only is that totally unclean according to Jewish standards, um, but I might actually get leprosy. But I'm willing to endure all things. I give up my rights of a healthy body If that's what it takes to reach people for Jesus. So imagine you've got this Jesus guy named Paul. And he says, right, don't need him. Healthy body, eh, whatever. Um, People judging me, okay. Um, I'm going to go do what I need to do for the sake of the gospel. Because the only person I serve is Jesus. I don't serve the opinions of people. I don't serve my own flesh. I serve Jesus. So if he wants me to go there, I'll go there and I'll love people and I'll serve people and I will um, help people know the gospel. And, And that's the big why. He did all of that and it doesn't make sense, right? He did all of that so that people could share in the gospel and its blessings. He says that in verse 23. I do all of this for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them, right? Them meaning the Jewish people. Them meaning those outside the law. Pagan worshipers who sacrifice their children to false gods. I do this so that they may share in the blessings of the gospel with me. I do this so that people who are lepers, people who are outcasts, people who nobody wants to hang out with, I I want them to know what it means to be part of a family that has freedom. And so I will do anything for them. Paul said that the kingdom of God, by his actions he said this, the kingdom of God is filled with Jewish people who love Jesus. It's filled with Greek people who no longer worship false gods but love Jesus. They're still Greek by culture, but they love Jesus. Um, it's filled with pagans who now worship the one true God. It's filled with um, people who were criminals but have given up their life of crime because they found Christ and know the grace and mercy that he has. It's filled, the kingdom of God is filled with poor people who know that God will meet their needs. They have a trust that goes beyond sticking their hand out and begging for coins. Um, It's filled with rich people who recognize that they've been given so much that they can actually meet the needs of the poor people. The, the kingdom of God is filled with gay people and straight people and single people and married people and smart people and disabled people and all people because God came so that all might know his love and his grace and his mercy. But he came and died on the cross for the entire world, not just a small portion of people. But the only way that the majority of the world is going to hear about Jesus is if Jesus' people leave this and go there, right? Nowhere, nowhere in this passage does it say, to the church person, I became like a church person because it was more comfortable and we liked it that way. But what do we do on a day-to-day basis? When you look at church growth trends in the United States, you want to know what they are? Transitional growth, not transformational growth. Meaning, the bulk of the congregations around the United States are made up of church people that have come from other churches, and that when they don't like what the preacher says or what the music sounds like or the ministry or whatever, they go to another church. To the church people, I became like church people to win them to my church ministry so that we could have more people in our seats so that we feel better about our church and we can have better potlucks. (laughs) It's funny, but it's true, right? Mm -hmm. And and we don't want that, right? I mean, we want people to come to Jesus. And that means church people have to become like Jewish people or Catholic people or Mormon people. Or people who don't have a faith. Or hang out at the bars. You you don't become an alcoholic. You drink Coke, right? But you hang out where people will never come to church, right? You go to the people, right? This is the great example we have, right? That um, in Jesus, uh, and if you want to flip, you can flip to Philippians. Flip to Philippians, just a few a few, a few pages ahead um, of where you are. Philippians chapter two. Like it's all well and good that we think Paul, <laughs> he had this great experience with Jesus on the road to Damascus. He's kind of different than the rest of us, right? I mean, he met Jesus face to face. He went blind. Then he saw again. Just had a special calling for his life. Clearly not Clearly, not what he has in mind for me. I have not had that same kind of experience, so I kind of excuse myself sometimes from the example Paul sets. And when he says, Follow in my example, I kind of go, Pick and choose, right? Exercising my freedom as I want to. But we really can't get around it when Jesus does this, and our whole life as Jesus people is supposed to be fixated on the author and perfecter of our faith. And so when we read in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 8, it says this, Do nothing from rivalry or self-conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. He gave his life for us, right? In a very real sense. Let each of you not only look to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which was in Christ Jesus, i.e., think like Jesus thought. Speak like Jesus spoke. Do what Jesus did. That that, uh, bracelet from the early 1990s, WWJD, what would Jesus do? Right? Yeah. Yeah. it's, It's right here in the passage. Like, have this mind among yourself, which was in Christ Jesus. Do what Jesus did. Right? This is what Jesus did. He was in the form of God, but he didn't count equality with God something to be grasped at something to be held on to tightly so instead he gave up his rights as god and he made himself nothing and he took on the form of a servant then he was born in the likeness of man and being found in human form he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death even death on the cross now now get this in verses five and six Have this mind among yourself, which is in Christ Jesus, who was in the form of God, but he did not count equality with God something to be grasped at. He gave up his rights as God for a period of time. He walked the face of the earth and people didn't worship him like he would and deserve to be worshipped in heaven, right? Um, People persecuted him yelled at him, spit at him, made fun of him, eventually arrested him and beat him him and and murdered him uh, completely unfairly. He gave up his rights. He didn't count them as something to be grasped at, but rather he said, though I have the freedom to be worshiped, I choose not to access that freedom right now. And then in verse seven, he made himself nothing. He took on the form and the likeness of men. Now, he made himself nothing and took on our form. That's humorous to me in so many ways, but um, we are not God. And God took on not-godness. And he did it to intentionally build relationship with us we couldn't get to heaven we weren't going there and we had a directly different trajectory (laughs) and he said well um i'm gonna go build relationship with them i'm gonna go where they are they can't get to me i'm gonna go hang out with them and he didn't just come to earth and hang out in general but he came to earth and he hung out with tax collectors he chose the worst of the worst of us and hung out with them (laughs) You know, because that gives us hope. If God loves those people, he can love me, right? Because at least in my own mind, I'm not the worst of the worst. Um, He hung out with prostitutes. He didn't condemn them. Adulterers didn't condemn them. Lepers healed them, touched them. You didn't do that, right? He hung out with Samaritans. You didn't do that as a Jewish rabbi. And he did it all because he loved them. He, he wanted to build intentional relationships so that they could see the hope in him. And then in verse 8, it continues. Not only did he give up his rights, not only did he intentionally build relationship with non-Jesus people, because at that point there weren't very many Jesus people, um, then he said this. And then being found in human form, right? The human form that hurts when you stub your toe. He humbled himself even further by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. This is where he was willing to endure anything for the sake of the gospel. So that, by any means, he might share with us in the glory that is to come. He had the freedom to say no to the cross um he could have done it in the wilderness when his ministry first began you can read about it in um i think it's luke chapter four where the devil tempts him it says you can have the you can have the kingdoms the devil says you can have all the kingdoms if you'll just bow down and worship me right now you won't have to do the cross thing And jesus said nah um i only want one kingdom i don't want a divided kingdoms i come for one kingdom a pass on your offer devil three times he did that. And then he lived his life in ministry, poured out for us, and he endured a whole lot of stuff in between. And then and then in the garden of Gethsemane, he prayed, "If there is any other way but this, however, I surrender my rights. Whatever you want, God." And so he willingly went to the cross. In fact, Um, You read about it in in the book of Isaiah, which prophesied about this uh, moment, that he endured the cross and he despised the shame. And someone said it earlier, by his stripes we are healed, right? The stripes, literally, physically, meaning he was beaten on his back. Bad enough it took chunks of bone out of his ribs. And then he died on the cross in our place for our sins, and he endured that. So that we, us here today, might share, might be partakers in the kingdom of God. That we might know the freedoms that he has given us. And that we might in turn turn around and resign our rights so that other people may know. So the challenge to us today is what are you willing to do with your freedom? How far are you willing to take the freedom that you have in Christ? You have freedom to go hang out with people that are gay. You have freedom to go hang out with people that are alcoholics. You have freedom to go hang out with the people that nobody will hang out with. Because that's where the Holy Spirit wants you to go. Because that's where people desperately need Jesus. That's where the kingdom of God will be seen alive and active. And then, guess what? When those people give their hearts to Christ and come to church right? Because church really happens out there. But when they come to this building and worship with us and the sanctuary looks completely different because it's filled with people from all nations and all races and lots of different languages, lots of different cultural backgrounds, is going to be the truest picture of the kingdom of God, right? And that's, that's what God wants. That's what he's enabling us to do. Um, we just have to get past ourselves a little bit. We have to realize that our rights aren't that important, That uh, what people think of us, not that important. Um, What God thinks of us, very important. Um, And to live our lives according to that, like Paul did. But Paul did it because Jesus did it. And Jesus said, why don't you come and follow me? Do what I do. Say what I say. Live like I live. It's going to be the best, most wildest adventure you've ever had. So the worship team is going to come and lead us. This is a chance for you to worship Christ in spirit and in truth, to come partake of the elements here. We have a handful of uh, communion elements that are available for you if you so desire to partake in the body and the blood of Jesus, which was poured out for you willingly so that you might have the freedom to go do likewise. So if, if you so desire, you can come partake during worship. And if you would like to stay in your seat, you can partake there as well of the Holy Spirit, which is poured out towards you. But whatever you do, don't not engage Christ this morning. This is the time when God would say, I want to enable you to go do what you thought you couldn't do for the glory of God and the good of mankind. Amen. Father, we are so thankful for you this morning in the ways that you've loved us and served us and given us exactly what we've needed, exactly when we've needed it. We want nothing more than to serve you. So help us now, Father. Hear your voice, receive boldness from you and a clear mission that we might go to those who are fill in the blank and become like them so that they may know the love of Christ. Fill us, empower us, and give us a bunch of joy on our way. And we pray this in your name. Amen.